Welcome to another episode of Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And we have an amazing guest again on our program. This is the wonderful Elizabeth Phillips. How are you, Liz, today? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Excellent. We're pretty good. So just like any of our guests, we have an, I don't know, I'd call it an unusual first meeting story. It seems like we always have some weird way in which we meet somebody. So, but this is a great story and I'm going to let Landon tell it because he was kind of the one that instigated the whole meeting. Yeah, we we were actually at a uh, kickball tournament between, uh, what was it like? Mormons versus ex-Mormon or, or ex-Mormons and polygamists, I think. Polygamists or fundamentalists. Or yeah, yeah. Talking the teams up in some <laughs> weird way. It was it was at the uh, uh, after the Sunstone uh, conference, and so they'd broken up the teams, and we were out there watching that as it happened. And uh, we we'd been just watched uh, Keep Sweet, uh, the movie, and we'd seen Alyssa Wall, and she was uh, you know a blonde gal who'd been on the interviews and stuff, and. We just kept seeing this blonde that was in the kickball tournament on the polygamous side. And we kept going, is that Alyssa? Is that Alyssa Wall? So we were waiting and we kept waiting. And then the game ended and she went over and she started talking. And there was someone who came up to you who you obviously knew. And you guys talked for a really long time. We, we were standing there stalking you, waiting. And uh, eventually we said, oh, I don't think she's going to stop talking. <laughs> so <laughs> we went over to the like Exmo bingo game that was going on and we were sitting there watching and and all of a sudden uh, Liz walked up and uh, we saw her there and we went up and asked if she was uh, Alyssa. And she's like, no, I'm Liz Phillips, but I am uh, the granddaughter of Ruin Allred. And we were like, Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that was shocking information right so we there. Were like, so we talked to her and she was just really fun to talk to. And we, we asked her a bunch of questions and we said, Hey, would you be interested in, in coming speaking to our book club? And uh, she, she said she would. And we've, since then we've talked with her many times, we've gone out a couple of times and uh, just really enjoyed going out with, with her and meeting her and her family and stuff. So it's been a lot of fun. It has been fun. And she has such a fascinating story. Yeah. And I think that's such a funny way to me because we're, of course, talking about the good book club that Landon and I um, co-founded together and we like to bring in extra guests. And so we actually ironically um, sort of did have Alyssa Wall scheduled in a roundabout way, not through an actual connection, but through a friend. And so we read her book, which is Stolen Innocence. So good. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, I guess if anybody out there has a connection to Alyssa Wall, there's a whole book club full of people all over the country that have read Stolen Innocence. We would love to talk to you. So, See if she plays I'm, kickball, too. So that we if she <laughs> plays kickball, maybe we can connect. So I'm just throwing that out to the universe. We would love to connect with her. So, but anyway, enough about that. Yeah, that was really fun. And Liz is just wonderful and has such an unusual story. And like Landon said, she is the granddaughter of polygamous prophet Rulon all read with the Apostolic United Brethren. And with that introduction, uh, let's just let's just have you tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll get into some other topics and let's just do it. Sure, I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, like you guys had mentioned, I am the granddaughter of Rulin Allred. He is, um, if you're a little bit older, he was national news. He was the leader of the Apostolic United Brethren from 1953 to about 1977, um, where an opposing group came in, the LeBarons, and two women dressed up as men walked into his office and murdered him in cold blood. And I was born two years later. And 
the thing that's so fascinating is though I lost my grandpa before I was born, um, he has had such a huge part in my life. And um, I grew up as part of that group, as part of the Apostolic United Brethren. And so I grew up with five moms and of course, one dad, 36 siblings. I had a very busy, full childhood with lots of fun, um, lots of memories. And we were taught obviously very different from the mainstream Mormon church in a lot of ways, but very similar in other ways. And that made it fun and exciting and confusing all at the same time. Um, we were taught at an early age that polygamy was meant to be kept alive until Jesus came again. And that was kind of our little sacred secret that we were to live in the world, but not, well, not among, what is it? Among the world? In, but not of. of yes. I always switch uh, around. I do yeah. too. So, so it was, so we were, I went to public school. I went to seminary. We obviously, um, growing up fundamentalist polygamists believed in the book of Mormon, the doctrine and covenants, the pearl of great price, all of those basic scriptures were all in there. And then you add in polygamy that we were secretly keeping alive. And then, uh, we did have the difference with the Adam God doctrine with Brigham Young. If you know anything about church history, he taught something different than the mainstream Mormon church teaches now. Um, and so for, for me and my childhood, it was, I loved it. I loved having all of those siblings. I loved having all of those moms. I had a very typical childhood. At least I felt like I did. Um, if you know anything about the Apostolic United Brethren, you can, if you've done any kind of research, it is where um, with Cody Brown and his wives, and I know Sister Wives has been all over the news lately with um, a couple of his wives leaving and um, all over TikTok. And it's just, it's kind of blown up in this last little bit. And they do come from my group and I do have some personal connections with them. Um, Christine is my cousin. She is also um, a granddaughter of Rulin Allred. So we are related. Um, but so, so I had grown up as a polygamist, but also living among Mormons. And that was hard in that when mainstream Mormons found out who we were, we were ostracized and um, did not have a great time in our neighborhood because of the way we grew up. So that part was hard. Um, but I so did. You were, living, you were not living set apart in a town or an area for that lifestyle. You were actually just in a neighborhood and no yeah. one really knew. That is so fascinating. Yeah, we were, we were definitely just part of the world. We could go out and watch movies and no one looked at our dress and thought anything different. So in some ways it was really nice because we could blend into the world. And then in other ways, it was really hard because no one understood that we had different beliefs. Um, but yes, when, when the neighborhood found out that we were polygamists, the children were very cruel to us, throwing rocks at us, yelling names. Um, and it, we didn't get it from non-members. We got it oh, from were mainstream Mormon, mainstream kids, Mormon children oh. who learned it from their parents. And, and yeah. if your audience has been Mormon for an ex extended period of time, polygamy can be a dark part of the history that they don't like to talk about a lot or admit that it was kind of um, nuanced for a while. It wasn't a clear cut between Brigham Young and then now. It was very much um, more nuanced and it depended on the time. And so 
Um, but now with part is most of them probably came from polygamy stock. <laughs> most of the people that whose yeah. kids were throwing rocks at you. So yeah, yeah, it's a it's a shameful past that I think a lot of mainstream Mormon families um, don't want anything to do with it. And I know that it was a huge problem problem in the 1980s, 1970s, where a lot of mainstream Mormons would actually join the polygamist groups because they were so similar to um, what the teachings were. And so there was a lot of attraction, like, oh, if you want to go back to what Joseph Smith was actually teaching or Brigham Young was actually teaching, polygamy had a big draw. And so we did get a lot of mainstream Mormon families come into the group. Um, and and it, it did not sit well, obviously, with mainstream Mormon church. So so I grew up with a wonderful childhood. I loved it. Um, and then I joined the mainstream Mormon church at 18. And I think I, I, I guess I don't really, I mean, I guess I can pinpoint some of the reasons why I did. I had been ostracized so much as a child. I had finally found a group of friends. They were all mainstream Mormon and they were very accepting and very loving. And I wanted that for the rest of my life. I wanted to be accepted and loved and part of the group that was around me, part of the community and the culture. And so I told my dad at 16 that I wanted to get baptized. He was very disappointed in me. He wanted, he was very sad that I chose the lesser light and that I wasn't going to live polygamy. He tried very hard to convince me otherwise. My dad was very high in the Mormon church. He was, or the, I'm sorry, the AUB. And um, he was one of the 12 apostles. He was on the council. That's, that's right next to the prophet in the apostolic United Brethren. And later he actually became the prophet. He was prophet from 2014 until 2019 when he passed away. So he's, he was actually a, come from the prophet on my mom's side, Rulin Allred, and then on my dad's side also, who was prophet until just recently, at least in the AUB. So that's so why was, we have said that Liz is a polygamous princess. Yeah. <laughs> plague royalty. A plague royalty. So you yeah. were in a, a regular high school, mainstream Mormon friends and had this past and then realized I want it. I want it. I want what they have. I want to be like them. I want to be accepted. That is such an interesting dynamic. Yeah. And, and it's funny because I get asked a lot. Oh, is it because you didn't want to live polygamy? I didn't know all the things that polygamy entailed as a married woman in polygamy. I didn't understand what marriage looked like, um, what it would be like to share my husband or not share my husband. All I could go off was the context of my childhood, which was lovely. And I never heard my moms talk about the other moms in any negative light. So I had no context there. That's not why I left polygamy was because I was escaping or I never wanted to share my husband or, um, which is fascinating, but I, that was never my pull into mainstream Mormon, I, Mormonism. I think it was the acceptance and not having to live in secrecy and, and hiding who I really was. I wanted to be able to live authentically. And because the culture around me was mainstream Mormon, that was going to help me live authentically. And I did realize joining the mainstream church was going to change the trajectory of my life because I was now going to be dating mainstream Mormon men. I was going to not be a sister wife. I was going to be able to get married in the temple and have my children raised in these local wards where you get all the support and you're out in public. You're not, you get to drive, you know, 
one minute to church or two minutes to church instead of when I grew up, it was a half an hour drive out to church, out to Bluffdale. So I knew leaving polygamy would have consequences. And and I loved that all those consequences looked very um, appealing to me. So I was very excited to get baptized. I was um, an on fire convert where I would bear my testimony all the time and, and tell everyone how amazing that the Mormon church is and how lucky everyone was just to be born into it. And they didn't have to leave another religion and, and have their dad mad at them. And I was, um, very, very excited. I was on fire. I was, I was a very devout convert that was just excited to get my life started. So I told my dad at 16 and because of the policies that the Mormon church has about polygamists, uh, I wasn't able to get baptized until I was 18. It's very similar to the uh, policy that was put in place and then removed when it had to do with children of same sex couples. That is actually a policy that's been standing for polygamists since 1936 and is still standing today. And um, so it's interesting to me that they got a huge pushback about children coming from same sex marriages and they reversed that policy within three and a half years, but they still haven't touched that policy for anyone coming from a polygamist family. There's none aren't aware. I think a lot of people aren't aware, but yeah, you certainly had to jump through a lot of hoops and you had described before that your, your mom had left with you and she had to jump through a lot of hoops as far as the policies that the church had in place. So that's. Yeah. I think we should touch on that just a little bit because I did join the mainstream LDS church. And then, um, about 10 to 12 later, my 10 to 12 years later, my mom decided to leave my dad. He, she was his first wife. So she did have to get like an official divorce and then, um, decided to join the mainstream LDS church. And it was not a good experience for her. And even at that time when she decided to join, I was an active member of the church and I even had a hard time watching her go through what she had to go through and the hoops that she had to jump through to become a member. And, um, it was very disturbing for me even then. And even now looking back on it in this context is even more frustrating. So she did a officially divorce my dad. Um, and then she went to our Bishop and said, you know, I'm, I'm ready to join the church. And she had to go through a disciplinary council first. So, and I went with her, she requested that I go with her and she stood in that conference room with, with, um, a bunch of other men. So it was just my mom and I, and she had to talk about how she had been living in sin for the last 43 years of her marriage. And that she knew she was, she understood that if she kept doing that, she was going to live or I mean, go to hell and, and it was going to be just horrible. I mean, it was, it was embarrassing and it was uh, very uncomfortable. They made her um, repent for all of her sins. She couldn't take the sacrament for a while. Um, it was, it was just, it was very embarrassing and it was, it was hard. And she, she stuck through it. She admitted all of her sins. She said she was sorry. She was going to ask for repentance. So she was never a member of the LDS church. She'd always been a UAB or yeah, an AUB. Correct. So she was a rule and all reds daughter. So she was born in polygamy. And Mm -hmm. and so she had to repent before she was even baptized. Well, completely contrary. Well, okay. So just a little backstory to kind of put it more into context. 
my grandpa asked his members to join the mainstream LDS church. So rule and all red at the time, they did not have magical underwear, the garments at this time. And, but he felt like it was very important for his members to be covenant members, to make those covenants that you make in the temple and get those uh, garments that you have. So he encouraged his members to join the mainstream LDS church, um, get baptized and then wait that year. You have to wait, go through the temple, get your covenants or your magical underwear or your garments, whatever you want to call them, make those covenants with um, heavenly father. And then you can leave again. And that did upset a lot of mainstream LDS leaders. And I do think that's why they are so strict about polygamists now. And they want to make sure that you're serious and you do have to meet with a member of the 12 apostles when you come from a polygamous background and you're joining the mainstream LDS church. My mom had to do that. I had to do that. My siblings, all of us had to, it's just a rule. Um, So she did actually get baptized. Her and my dad did. And then they went through the temple, got their covenants, and they did get excommunicated officially. They got like the official letter, asked to come in for a disciplinary council. Of course, they didn't show up because they didn't care. But that was um, probably before they had their first child. So it was a extre- it was a long time ago. Um, so she was a member of the church with with her covenants, but she was officially excommunicated. So when she decided to join the church later. They just made sure it was extremely miserable for her. She had to meet with um, the bishop, the stake president, a member of the 70, the 12 apostles, and all of them hit on the fact that she had been living in sin for the last 43 years and she needed to repent. So it was pretty uncomfortable. Um, I I did not say to those people, I would say I'm living the same way that probably your great, great grandmother was, to be honest, you know, and that to me, that's so fascinating that your grandfather, he really did believe it sounds like that he was keeping one part of the religion, the polygamy part and the mainstream wasn't doing it, but they had the temple and the ordinances. And so, you know, it's kind of worked together and we'll hold, you know, hold this part until everything's ready to come together. That also explains an experience I had one of the first times I went through the temple where I was peeking into a ceiling room with my husband, my fiance, to see what it looked like before we got married. And this woman threw herself in front of the door and said, I know that you're a polygamist trying to come in here and get married. <laughs> so that makes a lot of sense. I guess it actually did happen yeah. that they would come in and wow, yeah, that is fascinating. That is such an interesting, wow, geez. So did did the UAB see the mainstream LDS that they had the power to seal you or marry you? So why, why would you need the endowment if, if they didn't not the sealing power that's celestial power. That's, that's the higher power. So not that because that the sealing power is for you to live with your spouse for eternity, at least rudimentary. I mean, obviously you can do that with like families and things, but um, it wasn't specific. It, it was to wear, it's to covenant with your heavenly father and have the, the protection of the garments was what he was pushing. And, and that has changed. So when he first became in charge of this church, um, and that was the great split of 1953, my grandpa, if you do any kind of research on polygamy, there's plenty of splits. And one of them really had to do with my grandpa. Um, but he really had a love for the LDS church that, the main, the uh, FLDS did not have. So in that way, he paralleled the mainstream Mormon church more closely than FLDS did um, and has. 
But one of the things was that they didn't have their own garments, that you went through the actual temple and made covenants there. And then um, you would be able to be sealed and and go on your merry way. So the original teachings of the AUB was that um, the keeping the everlasting covenant alive is kind of like the father of the priesthood and the church is the mother. And when Jesus Christ comes again, those two will be reunited. So right now they're separated because of the policy of getting rid of polygamy and then they're going to be reunited. So they're kind of just keeping polygamy alive. So all of the other covenants are very similar, not covenants, just different things that the mainstream LDS church did. Um, The AUB was very closely aligned. The church didn't like that, but it was very, very similar. That has since changed. My grandpa had given a revelation to a woman. I'm pretty sure her name was Betsy that before she passed away, she would be able to get her garments um, through the AUB. And and of course, my grandpa was murdered and then she was getting older and she was going to die soon. And that prophecy had not come true yet. So someone went into the temple, took the covenants and then created their own endowment house with the AUB. So when my grandpa was alive, there was not the covenants then and and now there is so now they have their own covenant house with their own garments it's the long sleeve long pants just ties in the front it's old school garments like pioneer garment where yeah yeah so now they have their own covenant house with that or but that's not how it was before things have definitely they've had to adapt according to prophecies or different things that the church has changed like the 1978 priesthood ban being lifted um they had left the mainstream LDS church before that. So when that came through, the AUB was like, that's so wicked. Um, the blacks may not hold the priesthood. And so they really felt another push to make sure they had their own covenants and their own um, endowment house so that it wouldn't include that. It's a very whitewashed racist wow. um, group. And it's so almost- the AUB, they, if you were a person of color, you could not. Correct. Yes. Um, yep. But, but Lamanites are fine. Oh, AKA okay. anyone else with any other kind of skin. But <laughs> yeah, they actually have a colony in oh, Mexico. Wow. So any of those are fine and great, but yeah, it's so because it had split off before that priesthood ban, they never went along with the church in that way. And in fact, became more separated from the church because of that. So, um, yeah, so my mom had a rough time, but she also joined the mainstream LDS church. And when she passed away, she was mainstream LDS. So I think it really um, fed her soul also in a lot of ways. So I did join at 18. I was married at 20. Um, quite happy. I loved being Mormon. I loved raising my kids Mormon. I loved my callings. I loved my neighborhood. Most of them were Mormon. I just fit quite nicely into what the pattern was and I loved it and I was excited to be part of it. Um, and my husband was not, did not have a polygamous background. He was just a mainstream. You were just a mainstream Mormon gal. Mm -hmm. Boring mainstream. And you know, what's funny is his mom was actually very concerned when we first started dating that I might take him into the polygamist group. Um, and I was like, oh no, I do not want to be a polygamist. Like I promise I'm not going to do that. Well, now I've since less left the mainstream LDS church and I've taken him with me there. So Even we kind of went the opposite direction. Oh, no. 
I was like, sorry, at least I didn't go that way. Um, but yeah, so yeah, he didn't grow up polygamist. We met at a singles board. I mean, just a very typical, how you meet. I mean, we dated only for a year before we got married. I, so in Mormon land, it's That's long enough, long. but yeah, <laughs> it's long, long enough. Land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In Mormon land, it was long enough, but in, in yeah. any other time, no, you barely know each other. <laughs> so, but it worked out well. I had chosen well on accident and I'm quite happy with my choice. And so it was great. And we had, um, lots of little kids. We, we have five total now, but, um, yeah, we lived in quite happy. And then um, my dad became prophet in 2014 to the AUB. And I have some siblings, obviously, that are still in that church. And they really struggled with him becoming the prophet because, to be honest, he was not a great dad. He was not that kind. He was not that attentive. He um, was abusive physically. Um, and so to have someone become the prophet and be so close to God, according to their doctrine, and not be a really great guy was extremely hard for some of my siblings. And I didn't care because he wasn't my prophet. And it didn't really bother me because I had already in my head contextualized that he wasn't anyone I needed to worry about. Um, but I did have some, I did have a sister come to me and, and um, express her childhood experiences in that group when it had to do with, and it had to do with temple covenants and some of the priesthood council members. So some of the older men, and there was definitely some abuse that had gone on there. And that was extremely hard for me to hear. And I didn't want to believe it, but you never want to tell someone that's been a victim that you can't believe them just because you don't want to. So it was a lot of soul searching and it made it very difficult for me to be able to go to the temple. And it had used, it had given me so much comfort and peace. And, and now every time I thought about the temple and the endowments, I couldn't go. And it was very, very upsetting to me. And I was afraid that if I didn't go to the temple, I would lose my testimony. So I ran to my state president as any good Mormon would do and express that I'm worried about my testimony because I can't go to the temple because every time I try to go to the temple, I think of my sister and what had happened to her. And I was just really worried. What's your suggestion? Of course, I'd brought my husband with me. Um, and he told me that I needed to go look at the temple and just think about the temple. So I realized in that moment that he didn't know what I needed. And that was the last thing I needed was to sit and stare at something that was going to bring me so much trauma and pain. Um, so I decided to do my own investigating and that's really the string that pulled the sweater apart was just me starting to do my own investigating and going, wait a minute, and the, if I was to do a through line with my leaving the mainstream Mormon church and really even having to do with my childhood and leaving the AUB would be being so close to men in power and watching them abuse that power. And there is no closeness to God. They are not prophets. They are not mouthpieces from God. They're not. And um, I think that was probably my through line was being able to realize that I grew up with this dad, this man, and he's not a mouthpiece from God. And then, and then doing research on Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and going, Oh, there were way too many similarities 
for me not to see those things. I mean, I'd have to say that was probably the through line was watching these men take advantage of the people around them, the resources around them and abusing that. Um, And then of course, everything else just kind of followed. I mean, the racism, the whitewashing, um, the LGBTQIA issues, all of those things that I definitely never felt comfortable, but it wasn't in my face. So I didn't have to worry about it. I lived a very patterned, um, easily fit in LDS life. I was, I was straight. I was married to a great man. I had all these young children. I had a great neighborhood. I was never ostracized. I fit quite nicely. So there was no reason for me to, there was no pushback. So there was no reason for me to, to question. So I'd have to say that was the um, hardest part of my life was realizing that I I didn't want to be part of this church anymore. And it was deeply painful because I had fought so hard to join it. And I had already lost a family by joining it. And then I was going to run the risk of losing another family, the one that I had just created and I thought was so perfect. So that was extremely painful. And I had many dark, dark nights because of that. Um, and I really lucked out because my family has been so wonderful. My husband and my children have really supported me and helped me. And that's been, I just consider myself very lucky because I know there's a lot of people that experience mixed faith marriages and it brings in a lot of issues. So that's been amazing and lovely for me. Um, But there were many, many years that I contemplated, what is this going to look like? For these friends that I've had for the past 20 years that are mainstream LDS that are not going to be comfortable when I leave the church, what is that going to look like for my callings? I had been every calling a woman could be in the primary and in the young women's and then the Relief Society president and stake primary, stake young women. I had just done it all and I loved it. And I was actually actively in a calling when I had figured out that I didn't want to be part of this church anymore. So what did that look like? Um I had had a little bit of notoriety around my neighborhood and around the ward and the stake as someone that could get things done. And I knew I couldn't do that anymore because I didn't believe in it anymore. So then who am I as a person? So it was really jarring to the core of me to realize that I'm going to upend everything. And then what's that going to look like for my children? They're taught in church to disregard people who are outside of the church and um, think less of and not listen to people that drink coffee, that drink alcohol, that aren't going to church, that aren't even active. Am I going to lose the closeness that I have with my children? Am I going to lose any kind of sway or um, things that I want to share with them? Because now I'm that mom that isn't going to be able to take them to the temple, that isn't going to be sitting with them in sacrament. Are they going to be ashamed of me? Um, And so it was really... It, it took a long time for me to officially cut it off and and decide just not to go anymore and talk to my children officially about it because it was so hard for me to realize when you come from a high demand religion or a cult that you are going to be severing ties that you don't want to have severed. And that oftentimes can pe- oftentimes can keep people in. And it did keep me in for a time. It was a conversation I was in too much pain to have with my husband or with my children or with my friends that I had been friends with. And, and I had to be in a space where I had to be okay to lose them to feel free enough to talk to them about what was going on. How old were your children at that point? 
Um, I think, okay. So I want to say my oldest, oh, okay. Yeah. I remember my, my two oldest were in young women. So it was, um, 14 and 12 when I had figured that out and I had another daughter just coming in. So she was in primary, but, um, that was hard. We had very conservative young women leaders and they would say things that even the Mormon church wasn't teaching, like your bodies are rented and you don't have any right to do anything with them because they're gods and, you know, submit to your husband completely. And they would come home from young women's and I would have to just even deconstruct or talk through some of the things that I knew that LDS was even teaching. Yes. And, and realistically, and then of course the whole time I'm keeping in like, okay, well, I can tell them this, like, well, the Mormon church teaches this and this is what the doctrine says. And so, but you know, on the other side, I wanted to be like, but that's also not it. And, and so I really had to watch what I said and make sure I'm not sounding bitter or angry because I was so afraid that if I said too much, that they would stop listening to me altogether. And go, oh, my mom's starting to say things that are not, you know, not according to the doctrine or not safe. Or, and I can't talk to her about future things because she's being wicked and she's telling me things that aren't true. And so it really you are you are not wrong because that is absolutely 100 percent the situation I am in right now, which I won't go into. But with one of my children. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, like, it's the point really- of not even talking. because Yeah. 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 Well, you're not a safe person. Lost respect. I'm not safe. And all the respect has been lost. And I've been stunned to find myself in that situation. And all I can do is really hope for the future at some point. But you are you were not wrong to think that. And you know, I think you handled it very well. And I they're younger than my child that is doing that now. You know, when they get older, sometimes it's a little more difficult. But yeah, you were hundred percent correct in thinking that that could be an outcome. So Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's, it's a real concern for, um, anyone who has raised children and then decided to leave and realize you've cried, you've created posterity (laughs) that you are running the risk of keeping them in there. And now you're going to be the other, you're going to be ostracized. Um, so yeah, it's, it was a huge concern of mine. Um, I was concerned about losing my husband too, but I was, very honest with him from the beginning. So he was along with me in the journey and he allowed me to go through that pain and respect my pain. And, and, and he did not go through the same thing. He was not upset by the same things I was upset by. He did not, things that made me cry did not make him cry. It didn't bother him, but he allowed me to feel what I needed to feel. And he was supporting me throughout the whole process um, and that was healing for me also to be able to know that I had a safe person to talk to. And, and then on the same, at the same time, extremely frustrating. Cause I would say, you know, doesn't that upset you? Doesn't that make you angry? And he would just be like, well, oh, he was in. he's in, but yet mm-hmm. talking to you and understanding Yes, and sees problems that still in. So yeah, and it, and it didn't bother him the way yeah. it bothered me. And, and that's understandable. I mean, being a male in the Mormon church, looks so different than being a, a woman in the church. Then you add our personality differences where I was a huge rule follower and ate everything anyone fed me. And for sure, if that's what you said, it is, that's what it's, that's what I have to do. That's what you said. And he's never been a rule follower. He's always kind of beat to his own drum. So things like that have never bothered him. If he didn't like it, he was just like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. It doesn't bother me where I was like, but 
our eternal salvation is at stake, you know, because <laughs> I was all in. Um, <clears throat> so I'd have to say I started out slow with my children, just kind of deprogramming things from young women's. Um, that was hard. And then um, it, it's funny because I had come across the Mormon stories slash Radio Free Mormon podcast where they discuss um, the Book of Mormon discrepancies and what's not jiving in the Book of Mormon, not historically accurate, all these things that aren't lining up. And, and it was a pretty fascinating podcast. And I thought, I'm just going to give it to my daughters. At this time, they were 15 and 17. And we had been going to church sporadically. Um, and probably about three weeks earlier, I had been put in the young women's because like I told you, I keep getting callings and I didn't know what to do with them. So, so hard to picture why so hard to picture. <laughs> I was like, stop giving me things to do. But I, I thought, okay, I'll take this calling because it's with my daughters. By this time I had three daughters in young women's. And I thought, well, it's an excuse to just hang out with them and see what they're teaching my children. So, um, but then they said, you know, we're going to all go to the temple, all of us young women leaders, and then the young women. And I just thought that, you know, that's my trigger. I can't do the temple. I was like, oh no, I'm going to have to talk to them about the temple. I can't take them. So I did pull them aside and I sat them down and I said, I know that the temple brings a lot of people peace. And it can be a beautiful place for a lot of people. It does not bring me peace and it's not a beautiful place for me. So I cannot take you to the temple. Like I can't go inside the temple with you because it's not going to feed my soul, but I can take you to get your temple recommend. I can drive you to the temple. I can wait outside for you until you get back. I can support you in whatever way you need to feel supported. I just can't go in there. And my oldest one cried. Um, my middle one was just a little bit confused, was like, all right, mom, whatever. And then my youngest was, she was barely 11. So she just went, all right, sounds good. Cause she didn't know. Um, and so I think that was kind of where my kids were like, well, that's a little weird mom. That's not a normal thing that she does. And so I think that kind of, that's, I think they told me that's when I was on their radar is like, huh, that's, that's a little weird. And it had been a few years since I had gone through my faith crisis, that's how careful I was to not say anything or express my negative emotions that I felt towards things, just very neutral, just very like, oh, let's see what science is saying. Let's see what the Mormon church is teaching. Let's oh, just look at all these different things and how they maybe are different. And you know, what's cool is you get to decide what you want to do about that and whatever makes you feel better and follow your inner compass. I said that a lot to my children. Um, whatever you feel like is, is right for you, you follow that path. Um, so yeah, I gave them the podcast, at least the two older ones. And they came to me and they're like, mom, I don't think it's true. Uh, <laughs> it's like, podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The power of the podcast. <laughs> the power of the podcast. Yes. That's it. Yes. And, and they were like, and I want to tell all my friends. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, you can't do that. I'm sorry. If they come to you with questions, you can talk to them. But no, you cannot just (laughs) give them that podcast. You're going to get in a lot of trouble. So but that did open the door for us to have further conversations. And at that point, I couldn't sit through church anymore. I'd been sitting through church. I had been helping my kids get ready in the morning. I would go sit in sacrament 
And then they would go to Sunday school. I think my husband taught Sunday school for a while. And so I would drive home, cry for the two hours between Sunday school and Relief Society. This was back when there was three hour church. And then I would go back and pick my, you know, dry everything off and then go pick up my family. They didn't know it had been like that for months. And finally, my husband was like, "Mm, I know you're going home after sacrament. (laughs) I don't know what you're doing, but I know you're doing that. And I was like, oh, yeah, sorry. I hate church. So, but I really didn't want to disrupt my family. Also, as someone who grew up outside of mainstream LDS church, I was ostracized and I knew how painful that was. I did not want that for my children. And I knew that if I took them out, they ran the risk of being ostracized like I did. That was one of my biggest fears. I'd have to say I stayed in the church because of fear of being ostracized and my children being treated how I had been treated growing up. Um, but it the came to who point. got out because they weren't afraid of being ostracized. Raise your hand. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think we all stayed in for that reason for, for a long time. Yeah. 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 That, you know, if that's the water you swim in, it's, it's hard. If that's every contact you have, every friend, every family member, it's a very, very scary, real thing. Um, so I just was like, well, if my kids are happy, then I'm happy. And, and if they get married in the temple, I'll try my best to get a temple recommend. I don't know. We'll see how, what happens. I don't know. And yeah, it, it just, it, after a while we moved a couple times and in our new home, I just, I finally went to my husband. I said, I can help you get the kids ready for church, but I, I won't be going at all. And we never went back. They <laughs> just, he just was like, oh, I don't want to go by myself. And I was like, all right, I guess we're done. And none of your children lot. wanted to go. I mean, they still uh-huh. weren't saying, oh, where's my young women's or because sometimes that happens. The parents make the decision and then the kids are like, oh, no, I still you like know, it. So it's interesting. My my husband's family is uh, naturally feminists. His grandma was building a house and bossing people around. And so my husband kind of grew up that way where women are very, very strong. And so my daughters are extremely strong. And, and when my oldest was 12, she was very upset about the difference between what Boy Scouts were doing and young men were doing and young women were doing. She did not want to learn how to cook and clean and and make your husband happy. And she hated it. Um, And that just continued. All of my daughters have never really clicked with what the young women theme is. Um, They did not want to write letters to their future husbands. They did not like any of that. Um, They didn't want to take pictures in wedding dresses. Sometimes (laughs) they do that, right? A wedding dress fashion show and a letter to the husband. Oh my goodness. None of those things really sat well with my girls anyway. Um, So, and, and for me and my husband, we were fine with that too, because we clearly were not extreme Mormons either. It was like, yeah, that is kind of weird to try in a wedding dress. Yeah. You don't have to write a letter to your husband. I didn't have a letter to mine. Like, you know, things like that. I would just make it. Yeah. That is frustrating that the men get to go shoot bow and arrows and you have to go learn how to bake bread. Maybe you can suggest that in your next young women's meeting, you know, just stuff like that, where you work within the system. So We would address it like that, like, oh, maybe you should bring that up next time. That is a really good point. So when we decided not to go back to church, it wasn't upsetting for my girls because 
they had already um, moved away from the friends they had grown up with because we had moved. Um, and so they hadn't really made new friends. So they weren't missing their friends. There wasn't that um, community that they were missing. Um, and then they just really didn't love anything that was being taught. And it definitely was not that the Book of Mormon wasn't true or that the LGBTQI issues were coming up or Blacks in the Free, like none of those big things were really um, an issue for them yet because they hadn't really, as a as a lay Mormon person, you're not really paying attention to those issues unless they get put in your face. At least you're taught not to. So I don't think it was really an issue for them, but they definitely didn't click in with the other young women. So that wasn't upsetting to them. And then I have two younger boys and they were very grateful. They've always apparently hated church. So it was never... <laughs> If you're honest, I mean, yeah. if you really take a cold, hard look at it. Well, I like yeah. how easy it was for, you know, for her to get out. It, it's, you know, for women, it's, it's easy. You know, you just say, okay, when you finally say you're ready to go, you just say to your husband, you know, I'm, I'm leaving. And if they say, no, baby, you can't. What about our marriage? You say, well, you get the kids ready then. Oh no, I'm out. <laughs> That's all you it know takes. What's funny. You know, what's funny is I thought, I wish I would have said that years before. I wish <laughs> it would have been like, I'm not going. So if you want me to help you get out the door, but I didn't, I was like, no, I'll go. And I'll just sit there. Cause I just, you know, I don't want to disturb the family and I don't want the kids to be upset. And I don't want my friends to talk about me. I was, um, I was in the stake young women's and we had gone to this huge stake meeting and the stake president had talked about how they're going to look at everyone that had expired temple recommends and they were going to work backwards and the people that had the most recent lapses of current temple recommends they were going to invite you know go do temple recommend interviews and get them caught up and then they were going to slowly work their way down to like people that had been expired longer and i'm sitting there not believing, letting my temple recommend, um, lapse. I did not wow. care to renew it. And I just thought, oh, they're going to talk about me in stake council in ward council. That's the last thing I need is someone praying for my soul. I can pray for myself, you know? So I'm like, I do not want them talking about me. So I went to my Bishop and I told him, I said, Hey, so this is what the stakes doing. I don't want you guys talking about me. Can I just, I believe in Jesus Christ. Can you give me a temple recommend on that? Um, and he said, sure. Also, what are you talking about? And I told him and he goes, I told the state president not to do that. I can't believe he's doing that because that is exposing people that don't necessarily want to be exposed. Um, so I don't ever know where that landed. But I, it was as someone who has sat in more councils for years because of my callings, I knew what they talked about. I knew how they approached these poor souls that were being lost and they needed to bring them back to the fold. And the way that these um, active members, these ward council members, just their hearts ached for these inactive people. And if only we could get them back. And I was like, oh, please don't talk to me. Don't talk about that. Don't don't put my name on the prayer roll. Don't talk about me in ward council. Like, just keep my name out of your mouth, please. So um that was a, a huge concern for me. And so when we were able to move, I was like, well, nobody knows me. I don't care if they talk about me. They don't know who I am. So that's when I finally felt bold enough to say, I, I'm just not going to go at all. And I just, but now that I know he wasn't willing to do any of it, I was like, oh, I should have said something like four years ago. And I just kept going. 
<laughs> it's so funny that they do that. I had, a, let's see, I had a bishop what year, like probably 2017 that came over to visit the family because we were a little more alternative. And he goes, now I see here that your temple re recommend expired in 2004. So we're talking, you know, like over a decade. And I go, oh, really? Is that when it was? And and he said, what can we do to encourage you? And I said, you know, I could get a temple recommend today if I wanted. And he said, yes, if you want it. And I said, yes, if I want it. <laughs> I mean, it was just a stalemate that yeah. I don't want. Please don't ask me anymore. And it's just, you know, it makes you just feel uh, just how do they know that information? Why do they know it? Please. So the idea that you were able to move and have a fresh start that's kind of wonderful for you and your whole family. And did yeah. you even connect with the ward in your new area or were you just, that's it? We went twice. Um, and in some ways I met a couple of very nuanced um, members that actually live on my street that I do enjoy talking to. Um, and in other ways, it was a horrible mistake because then uh, we were on everyone's radar as, oh, well, they used to go. And then what happened? You know, they moved here. And so during the pandemic, we had missionaries stop by and say, well, the bishop's just worried that you just never felt welcome in the ward. And that's why you're not showing up. And I was like, you guys are super kind for coming by. If you need glasses of water or bottles of water, I'm welcome to give those to you. Um, or I would love to give them to you. But um, that's not why we're not going, but thank, you can tell the Bishop. Thank you. Um, so they have reached out a few times. Someone in the ward bought us the Liahona for a year. So I got that mailed to my house for a year. And, um, I had primary packets dropped off every Sunday for a year. I've had, you know, Christmas treats from the relief society and from the primary and from the young women. And, um, so they've tried, they've tried to reach out. Um, but they don't know you as no. your former self, where you were the powerhouse, the woman in charge, every calling. Yeah. So they don't know that. So it's we a little all, different. Well, actually, <laughs> well, <laughs> actually, so this past summer, my son is now 12. And um, I got a text from my husband, I was out of town. And he said that um, the the youth leaders had come by and they're having this great um, youth conference trip down to St. George and they're going to go boating and they're going to go hiking and there's all these amazing things. And um, so they wanted to invite my 14 year old and my 12 year old. So it's a girl and a boy. And I was like, uh, so I talked to both of my kids and they said, yeah, uh, we've got friends in the ward and we would love to go. And we've already talked to them and they're excited to have us. And can we go? And it's like, okay, yeah, if, if you want to go, that's great. So then two days later, I get another text from my husband saying, well, actually part of it is a temple trip, the St. George temple. Now they need to get a temple recommend. And I was like, okay. I, and so I pulled them aside and we talked about that. And I told them what questions were going to be asked and are you comfortable with that? And this is what baptisms of the baptisms for the dead look like. And this is what you're going to see. And it's going to probably be hard because you haven't been going to church for a few years. And are you comfortable with that? And are you even interested? And, and they were like, well, I don't know. We haven't really gone. And it sounds kind of fascinating. And so I was like, okay, you know, you can go get your temple recommend. And, and, and it's funny because they didn't know who the prophet was. They didn't know all of these simple questions yet. My children walked out with a temple recommend. And I just thought, 
Okay. That's wow. interesting. <laughs> that is interesting. They don't know anything, but you seem to be handing out those out sure willy nilly. And then I get another text from my husband and he's like, now the bishop wants to give our son the priesthood. And that sent me over the edge. Oh, wow. <laughs> what? From a rafting trip that's going to be fun to let's sneak you in and get you a recommend to now let's bestow the priesthood on you. Oh, my goodness. And, and in so remember, as members, the priesthood is power from God. It is right. direct. It is God's power here on earth. If you truly believe that, you would not be handing that out like candy, right? So that's where I'm coming from. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Having my son have the priesthood has responsibilities that come along with it. And does, does has anyone, I know I haven't talked to my son about that. Um, so I probably should talk to him, but does, how can they, the bishop just hand him the priesthood, this power from God just so easily when he's clearly not an active member. So I just thought, you know, I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to tell him like, Hey, this is kind of a big deal. Like, are you sure you should be handing out the priesthood like this? I, you probably shouldn't. He hasn't been to church. He doesn't even know who the prophet is. He doesn't understand what the power of God here on earth is. It's a big responsibility. Are you sure? So I'm going in, like, I'm telling my husband about it. I'm going to talk to him. He's going to, you know, he's got to see the error of his ways that he can't just hand out the priesthood. Like, of course I don't believe in it, but if you truly believe in it, why are you handing it out like candy yeah. to someone who's not an active member who lives in a home that's in an active. So, so I'm thinking, I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to tell him. And my husband's like, Oh, honey, probably don't. And I was like, oh no, I'm going to, he's got to understand this is crazy that he can't just do that. So we go, my husband's there, um, my son's there and we sit down with the bishop and the first counselor. And I just said, yeah, I just want to talk to you guys about, um, I don't think my, it's this informed consent, right? So my son is consenting to the power of God and he's not informed about what that even means. Right. So I'm thinking you have, we have to talk about this. Are you sure you want to give it to him? I can't guarantee he's going to go to church every Sunday. And he was like, well, are you going to support him if he does? Yes, I will support him if he does. If he wants me to go to church, I will go to church for my children. But he's never expressed that. So it's not really been a thing. Okay. And I said, and, and remember, doesn't, if doesn't he get the priesthood, doesn't he have to like pass the sacrament and, um, Fast, pick, offering. fast offerings yeah, and, yeah. and then give blessings. And isn't there like a thing, like they have to do things. Right. And he was like, well, of course. And we would never want to deprive him of those privileges of serving God. And I was like, okay, so, but that's not my point. My point is he doesn't even know what he's signing up for. I don't need my, my son walking around with guilt that he's not fulfilling his calling or fulfilling his priesthood. I'm a little worried about that. Um, and I told him, I said, you know, I, I understand the responsibilities of the church. And I ran through the callings. I said, I've held this calling and I've held this calling and I've always given 110% and I've always done the best. And I don't want him to sign up for something that he can't give his best to. And they go, oh, you've done all those callings, sister Phillips, would you like a calling? Oh, you would be so amazing. What? Wow. wow. Not what I said. I, I wasn't bragging. I wasn't here to tell you. I, what? No, I don't want a calling. I was like, mm, I'm okay. 
thank you. Um, so we went back and forth and they never wavered. And I just said, okay, it's up to my son. Do you want the priesthood? And he didn't know. So he said, sure. Cause here he is pressured by all these adults right. trying to just go to a youth activity. So he signed up, he, he got the priesthood and now my husband or my son has the priesthood. So I feel bamboozled. I'm, I'm super frustrated and angry about it. And my husband was right. It didn't matter what came out of my mouth. They didn't care. It didn't change anything. He still ended up with the priesthood. So yeah, they've, they've reached out a few times like, Oh, sister Phillips, we could really use you in blah, blah, blah. No, thanks. I'm okay. Thank you though. So, you know, they've tried. Now, that is fascinating because I I can't tell this story because my child has asked me not to talk about things like this, but a very similar story. Bamboozled over the priesthood, family totally cut out. I'm still pretty upset about it. And maybe someday I'll tell the story, but I totally relate. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a very interesting scenario. And the mom especially has zero voice in what's yeah, happening. Absolutely. Yeah. And I did talk about that. You know, we are treated as second class citizens. Anything yeah. I say doesn't matter. I, I have no pull here. And I, and I know that for a fact, because I've held every single calling. And do you know how many meetings I have sat through where men have been like, well, I mean, I don't think you're getting it. Or you women just need to work harder. Or maybe you're not praying enough. Maybe that's why we're losing all the young men after primary. Right. It's somehow the women's fault and the primary presidency's fault that the young men are not going to young men's. Yeah. I was like, "Mm, I don't think that that doesn't follow. I don't, that's not okay. Sure. So yeah, it's, it was anyway, it was, it's been, we've had some frustrating moments overall. Our neighborhood's been wonderful. Um, I've tried to get close to a couple members and then they end up inviting me back to church. And that definitely puts my wall back up because if you can't love me for who I am, I'm okay. I will find people that do. Um, but I think the hardest part was, okay, now we're out. Now my family's out. What does that look like? Uh, the church is really good at, um, giving you a template and, um, an outline, a list of things that you need to do to raise your children righteously and make sure they're good people and make sure they're going to stay on the covenant path and go get married in the temple and all of those things. Um, you do A, B, C, and D, and this is all going to work out. Um, and if it doesn't, it's on you, not on the church. It's because you didn't play hard enough. You didn't do hard enough. You didn't do a good enough job with family home evening or personal scripture study, or you didn't pray hard enough. I don't know. So, but now we were out and now I have to figure out how to parent without the church's template because I could see all the harm that was happening. Um, and it was, it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. I'd have to say it's one of my favorite things is raising my children with zero fear of losing them to something else or, um, exposing them to something that, um, I would be worried then therefore I can't live in eternities without them because they've decided to marry a non-member or join a different religion or, um, so I, Um, after we decided to leave, I started actively exposing them to different religions and different cultures because 
Um, I want them to realize that they are not the only ones that live in the world. I think Mormons see through a very thick lens of they interpret a lot of world events and people and cultures through this Mormon lens. And I wanted that off for them. So I ask a question were they they must have had, you know, cousins then who were in polygamous family aunts that were in polygamous family. Were they already fairly exposed to that uh, difference even when they were in the church or had that been pulled back and they really didn't, didn't experience that side of it? Um, The polygamist element of it, I was never ashamed of. So they knew that I had multiple moms and that they had cousins that were active in the, in polygamy. Uh, That being said, I don't know if I exposed them very much to it. I did not go to a ton of family reunions. If, if we were invited to like a wedding reception or, you know, a birthday party for one of my nieces or nephews or something like that, we would go, but there wasn't a ton of exposure. Um, But we talked about it and, and I was always comfortable exposing them to my polygamous background. Um, I think that that has followed me through forever. I, I grew up with so much shame and secrecy in polygamy that when I joined the mainstream LDS church, I let that go. I can't live in the shame and the secret because that breeds more shame and more secrecy. And I could see that that's where abuse happens. If you can bring things out in the light and expose it. So my children knew of my background and where I came from and that my dad was the prophet and but did we hang out with them a lot? No, I didn't go out of my way. Do you think it made them a little more open to exploring these other things since the, or did they realize how different that was from everybody else uh, in Mormon and, you know, in their, their ward, they probably didn't have anyone else who had five grandmas, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they did know the difference and they weirdly wore it like a badge of honor. They would talk about, they'd like, it's like, Oh yeah. Well, my mom had, five moms or you know, <laughs> I have five grandmas. Like they'd say it just like randomly in conversations for like the shock and shock and awe. <laughs> so they always, uh, they thought it was funny and fun. And I'm sure they did because they didn't go through any of the trauma I went through and they're not exposed to it very often. So they're not getting into like the doctrine and how it's so similar to Mormonism and all those other things. So they treated it kind of like a party trick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. I know someone that blah, 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 you know, my great grandpa got murdered, just weird stuff like that, where it's like, oh, she'd probably not be whipping that out with strangers and just talking. About that. <laughs> um, so they were always comfortable with that. Like they knew where I came from. Mm-hmm. Did I expose them to it? Not until I left okay. and was comfortable exposing them to everything after that. Um, I had, when I decided to leave, um, I had a really good friend that had been active with Sunstone and there was a project down in the Short Creek area with Hildale and Colorado City. And we were going to go down there and get the, it used to be a zoo, then it turned into a sanctuary. We were going to get the sanctuary ready and help. We had helped um, clean up a home. We There's just different projects. We had gone down there and I felt strongly that my my daughters needed to come with me, my children. So I always brought at least one daughter with me and we went down to Short Creek and um, got to experience serving people and not worrying about 
oh, are they going to be polygamist if I tell them or show them these people or, and I did talk to them at the time that I do have relatives. I mean, I'm not directly obviously in the FLDS, but I do have, there's a lot of mixture between polygamous groups. So I did have family members that I didn't ever meet, but that lived down there. And and I was able to talk to my daughters about that, that you have cousins and, and family members down here. And, um, I, I did think it was important for me to expose them to this, this kind of group that's living here in Utah. And um, they had a wonderful time and it was a bonding experience for us and we loved it. And there was no worry that they were going to come home with, you know, other ideas that weren't going to align with what the church was teaching. Um, I did get asked when I came back, I ended up giving a talk in sacrament um, cause again, they asked me to do like everything. And I talked about bringing my kids down there to, um, to the Hilldale area. And I got pulled aside after and was asked if I was a polygamist sympathizer, which I was like, hmm, I don't think, you know, who you're dealing with. <laughs> and I, and I guess, yes, I guess I am. I love my because you were serving because you went somewhere to serve. Mm-hmm. It's such a funny attitude. It's like my husband would attend other churches because he loved the music so much. And he'd come back and talk, you know, in his gospel doctrine class or bear his testimony about it. And there's always that sense that kind of scared, what are you doing there? What are you hearing? You know, there's this fear, I think maybe, or a suspicion that if you just go expose yourself to different ideologies or different experiences that's, you know, something's going to happen. So that's so interesting. Yeah. And I always thought it was interesting because if you truly believe that the church is the truth, the absolute truth, why are you worried? Why do you have that fear? Because truth is truth. You shouldn't be worried that you're going to lose your testimony. Truth stays true. Um, so there shouldn't be in, there shouldn't be any fear in exposing yourself to other things. If, if it's true, it's just true. There shouldn't be anything to be worried about. So I always thought that was very interesting. Like it's going to stand to warn you. Yeah. Well, isn't that the big question that you hear on the other side is how will you help your children? How will you teach them morals? How will you, you know, it's like it's impossible to conceive of doing that without the church. And yet you're a complete example, Liz, of how you do that. And you do it so incredibly well that everybody flourishes. And you not only exposed your kids to, to the, you know, your roots kind of um, taking them to serve there. You tried to ex- expose them to other religious ideologies. You did all kinds of things like that. So just, it's wonderful. Yeah. We went to meet the Muslim night and was introduced. We were able to talk about the difference between Muslims and Mormons and what they believe in and ask questions. I'd highly recommend if you can go to a meet the Muslim night or go to a mosque and, um, meet someone there or talk to the women or men there that, that you will find that they are beautiful souls that are just trying their best to live their best life. Um, we have some friends from Pakistan and the women there don't drive very often. So the wife had moved here with her husband and I, I took them with my daughters and taught the wife how to drive so that was a beautiful experience. We've gone to a Buddhist temple, a Buddhist church, and sat through their services and meditated with them. Um, I've just made sure that I, as I was deconstructing how to be a parent outside of Mormonism, 
the things that I wanted to keep and the things I wanted to let go. And I actively tried to let go of secrecy and shame um, and fear. So in, and I love serving people. I love being an active part of the community. And I felt like I needed to share that with my children. Um, My husband and I both have had um, a strong upbringing of serving other people. He grew up um, helping homeless families with his mom. So he has also been exposed to that. So we have for Christmas gotten presents and taken them to different homes that have been struggling We've fed the homeless um, just for my daughter's birthday. Her birthday was New Year's Eve. And we just made a bunch of sandwiches and got a bunch of food and went around Pioneer Park and fed a bunch of the homeless people and gave them food and tampons and pads and other necessities and toilet paper. And just that was what she wanted to do for her birthday. So taking parts of what I'd been taught and then letting go of the rest has been beautiful and freeing and we've really enjoyed it. And, um, no shame or secrecy, even around hard topics like sex or pornography or any of those things that you have to deal with as you're raising your children. Um, I try very hard to go off of what does the science say? What is the latest, um, what are the latest findings and, um, uh, and making sure I teach my daughters and my sons about consent and maybe not just consent, but joyful consent so that, um, they're not exposed to often what happens in the Mormon church where the woman is taught to be obedient to her husband and that sex is horrible and shameful until you're married. And then it's all going to go away and everything's going to be great, which is not what happens after you get married. All of those, um, things that you've been taught throughout young men and young women's And the culture around it does not just disappear once you've gotten married in the temple and committed to each other and to heavenly father in covenant. So um, I've tried really hard to just, as I approach teaching my children, um, having them come with me and be an active part of what I want to do and model to them how I want to see them grow up and make sure we have those hard conversations. I feel like Liz, that you should write a parenting book on the other side of Mormonism. I'm serious. You just have, your kids are so lucky. I mean, they're just going to grow up with such healthy attitudes and experiences. And I think it's wonderful because people do say, what will happen to your kids? How will you ever, well, this is how, and I love the concept that you do keep some things because there are some wonderful and beautiful things about the church and some of their values and principles, but then you let go of those things that you see as really harmful. So, yeah. You know what I thought was cool was idea. you not only kept the, the the things from the Mormon world that you appreciated, but you kept the things from the AUB world that you appreciated mm-hmm. uh, and, and used those. So good is good wherever you find it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love my family that I left. And when I joined the mainstream LDS church, I'm very close to a few of my siblings and my cousins. And, um, I, I didn't feel safe in certain instances sharing who I truly was inside. And I, I make sure to do that even with the people that are still in the AUB. I've one specific story that comes to mind is a cousin who truly believed that my dad was the prophet and she had shared with me and bore her testimony to me one late night, just crying about how she knew my dad was the prophet. And this is why, and this is her dream and her vision that she had. And she just knew it was true. 
And I remember thinking she is sharing something with me that is very sacred to her and very important and means a lot to her. And I just made sure to be a safe space for her to feel like she could talk about that and not interjecting how I feel about my dad and what I think about him. And if I think he's a prophet or she's being ridiculous because of course he's not. And why would she think that? And none of those things crossed my mind because I thought she is, I wanted to be here for her and be present in the moment. And I tried to teach that to my children as they are exposed to different ideologies that maybe they're not understanding why, or they disagree with, but being there and present and meeting that person where they're at is the best gift that you can give someone. And it's really the connections that are going to help us um, see each other as humans instead of others. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it's, it's almost exactly opposite of some of the things you experienced going in and trying to share thoughts and feelings with leaders or other people, you know, and probably not anyone's fault. You're kind of raised that way in the church to do that, but you just sort of look past who's really in front of you and you just, you know, talk to them as if you want them to be a certain way. But now on the other side of it, you're exactly the opposite. I mean, I think you've always been that way, but you're able to see people for who they really are, which is really what's the most important thing. So I love that. I love that. That's a wonderful story. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I was the Relief Society president for a while and, and we had a woman who had cancer and she was also inactive. And so she shared with me that, you know, one time I was Relief Society president, but now I'm active and I'm inactive and this, I don't go to church anymore. And I remember leaving her home and getting down her steps and thinking, oh, that poor woman, if she could just feel the burning bosom and get her testimony back. And and I am embarrassed to say now that I discredited her pain and her sorrow and what she had gone through and her personal experiences. I don't want anyone else to feel the way that I discredited her. I don't want to do that ever again to anyone else who feels that they can share with me their deepest moments or anything. So that was a learning experience for me that I had discredited this woman who had gone through so much and is now going through cancer. And I was like, Oh, this poor woman, I just feel so bad for her. Maybe I should put her name on the temple roll. And and I know how she can feel better, right? Yeah. I know what she needs to do to make it all better. Yeah. That's exactly it. So, well, it's because you don't, you know, you yourself aren't being authentic. And so you can't, you can't interact with somebody else and know their authentic self. So it just, it just isn't an interaction that really happens a lot, I think in the church. So, but here you are on on the other side of it and it's just wonderful. You're very present and everything's meaningful that you're doing. So I love it. It's wonderful. Um, If you had, as we kind of end up here, any, you've given so much advice, which is so good. If you had just any advice to anybody who's finding themselves on the other side, kind of with children and wondering what to do, is there any just kind of overarching principle? I mean, you've said so much, this is wonderful that, that you would just say, you know what, keep this in mind, or you just have so many good things to say. Um, don't be afraid of hard work. I think, um, with the church and the way it teaches, it's just easy. You don't have to think, you don't have to put much into it, but if you are willing to put in the hard work, which can be scary and hard and all those things, um, your children will be healthier and happier. At least that's what I've seen so far. I mean, I can't really speak to it. They're not all done being grown, but I, I think that, um, if you just go, you know what, what pick up each piece and decide if it's for your family specifically. And if, and if it doesn't work, let it go. 
And if it works, keep it, but you have to pick up each individual piece. I think that was the scariest part is realizing that now I have to figure it out. Right. I can't depend on a church or a community to just raise my children. And, and your kids will listen to you. If you're authentic and you're present with them always, even if they have differing ideas, because you're there for them and giving them a safe space to be, they're going to listen to you and you're going to be just fine. Any final thoughts, Landon? That was so good. Oh my gosh. I feel like I want to make a whole bunch of memes of everything you're saying. <laughs> it's all so good. This is why we started a podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't matter if if nobody else listens to it. <laughs> it's that our three listeners, yeah. Our three Woo-hoo! listeners is we get to listen and discuss these things, which for so long I looked for a space or to other people that I could have this kind of discussion with. And here, you know, Liz just comes and gives us all of this great uh, insight and, and ways to handle things. And uh, you just go, oh, when I was struggling so hard, if I could have just met Liz. And that's what's beautiful <laughs> about this. So thank you, Liz. I appreciate it. You're welcome. You guys are both too kind. I appreciate it. And thank you so much for this opportunity. You guys are just always so fun to talk to and be a part of this community. It's just been amazing. Oh, well, thank you. You're one of our favorite guests and everyone we've not seen the last of Liz because we have some other things in mind to invite her back to do. So that makes it really fun. So I guess we will say uh, goodbye for now from Mormonish and don't forget to like and subscribe and comment. Um, Tell us what you guys are finding works as you're raising children and navigating all those questions on the other side of either being a post-Mormon or even a nuanced Mormon. Just let us know how you guys are doing and maybe we should set up a helpline with Liz. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe you know, I feel like everyone's going to say, we want to talk to Liz. So uh, we'll figure something out. So, all right. Thank you, everybody. And goodbye from Mormonish. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Mormonish. We really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.